0: Pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja, chronic, cannabis, cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than ten years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey buddy, hey, hey buddy, psst, psst, hey buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am. Fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment in legalization go up in smoke? <coughs> Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry, the activists, the medical professionals, the legislators, the economists, the regulators, and the lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on The Coin Podcast Network. A few months ago, I sat down with economist Beau Whitney for a two-part episode on industrial hemp. We talked at length about the potential products to the environmental upside and the potential for a very robust global agricultural economy. Well, if you want to know where the most comprehensive research is being done on hemp, look no further than Corvallis, Oregon and the Oregon State University global hemp innovation center this episode we speak with jeffrey steiner the associate director for the center we'll talk about how the center was founded the comprehensive work they are doing with global partners and the transformative potential of a bio-based economy
1: you're listening to mainstream media
0: Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. It's our award-winning newscast one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you.
1: Welcome back to Mainstream Media.
0: Jeff, to get started, what was your path to hemp research?
1: Okay, my path to hemp research was that uh, when the 2014 Farm Bill passed, I was working at Colorado State University. And I was fortunate then to uh, work on a executive committee that then looked at how could researchers at Colorado State University start doing research with hemp. And so we came up with the rules for doing that, worked with the Colorado Department of Agriculture, so everything was coordinated. And so with that then was able to encourage some of our faculty to start looking at hemp. they put some trials in that spring of 2015 and Colorado State's been off and running since then. So I went from Colorado State University to USDA, back to USDA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. And because then the laws have been passed to make hemp, to bring it back into the daylight, to make it a a commodity like any other commodity, that instructions from Congress were that the agencies were supposed to start to help facilitate that. And at NIFA, which is the USDA's wing that provides support for research grants, for extension, for education... You know, at universities, particularly land-grant universities all around the country, we came up with the rules, working with the chief of staff from the agency, working with the legal counsel at USDA, the communications office. We put the rules together and such so that hemp could be funded by USDA, hemp research and extension and so forth.
0: With cannabis being a Schedule One controlled substance, was it tricky navigating all that Or was it easier to navigate with states passing medicinal and eventually recreational laws?
1: Yeah, you know, it was very clear what was considered marijuana and what was considered hemp. As long as you were not exceeding the 0.3% THC, you know, Delta 9 THC, it was hemp. And so therefore, that was not an issue. I would say it was probably more of a, Travis, it was probably more of an issue with the appearances of things. You know, what was the interpretation of that? How did the public look at it? Would this be a challenge to the administration, you know, who was encouraging us to make USDA agencies friendly towards hemp? What had to be happened to make that happen? And so it was really more a matter of we came up with a list of do's and don'ts, you know, what the sideboards were. And then basically, we treated hemp like corn or soybean or apricots or any other American commodity. You know, so it was made available. And then it was a matter of really communicating that to the research community, the, you know, to the universities that uh, did agricultural research and education extension, that it was okay to do that. But, you know, at that time, the first go around, particularly, I think, after the 2018 Farm Bill, you know, there was some language that was left out. So U.S. territories and the Native American tribes could not participate that immediate time. But I think that all got rectified the next year.
0: So from there, what leads you to Oregon State
1: University? Okay. We raised our family in Corvallis. We'd been away from home for 13 years, mostly on the East Coast, a little bit of time in Colorado. It was time to pay my wife back and move back home, be close to some of our kids and our grandkids. And so I had already been making plans to uh, to move back to Oregon. You know, we were figuring on doing that in uh, uh, the spring of 2019, but at that time it already had been interacting with uh, Oregon State University with the College of Ag. Hey, I'm an alum. You know, we raised our family here. We're moving back. I'm retiring from USDA. You know, is there anything you have that I could do? You know, do, you know, could I teach classes? Do some special projects? You know, work with students, whatever. And over that period of time, about a six month period of time. My name had been forwarded to Jay Noller, who is the Department Head of Crop and Soil Science. He turned out to be coming up to be the founding director of the Global Hemp Innovation Center. I'll talk a little bit more about the center in a second. But as it turned out, in uh, June of 2019, I moved to Oregon, back to Oregon. And two weeks later, the Global Hemp Innovation Center was launched You know, by uh, the Dean of the College of Ag Science, and Jay and I was picked up as the associate director of the center. Really, the mission of the Global Hemp Innovation Center is to do whatever it takes to help the hemp industry move forward. We're outward focused towards the industry. We're not organized by the College of Ag or by departments like food science or chemical engineering. We're really designed around different sectors of the hemp industry And we take faculty then that come from all across campus. So not only the College of Ag, but also College of Engineering, College of Forestry, College of Business, College of Pharmacy. You just go on down the list. We have very motivated faculty who would like to work in the hemp space. And so we started to organize around that.
0: I watched an introductory video on the center's website that you narrate And you talk about what happened during the past couple of years with COVID and hemp production oversaturating the market. You said something intriguing in the video, that the center would use this industry reset as an opportunity to get the science ahead of the marketplace. So let's talk a bit about the sudden oversaturation and then rapid collapse of the hemp industry in Oregon and how the center is using it. As an opportunity.
1: Yeah. Let's talk a little, Travis, great question. Let's kind of unpack that a little bit more. Okay? Well, let's go back to 2014. Okay. So Jay Noller was the uh, department head of crop and soil science. He saw that in 2014, hemp is actually going to come online as a legal crop. We could not touch it at Oregon State University because of the legal risk. It still was nebulous with a 14 farm bill. You, you, know, you could read the tea leaves. See, this is coming down the pipe, but there's this real conflict with the federal law, you know, and being a public institution, our students get Pell grants and other federal support. We bring in a lot of federal grants. The university just didn't want to get crossways with this nebulous status of hemp versus the legality at the federal level. So Jay took it on himself then that he did some world traveling and actually, created partnerships with the leading uh, hemp research institutions in China and particularly in Serbia because that those were still the leftover vestiges of hemp industry in the world you know post 1970 with the war on drugs and hemp being classified the same as marijuana schedule 1 drugs so he actually started to do large scale research with the serbians with the chinese to start getting experience looking ahead That by the university being involved overseas in this, we're going to get the experience to start to get the experience of how to grow hemp, how to, you know, how to manage hemp, how hemp can be used. And that just really set the platform so that when 2018 Farm Bill came along, 2019, legal counsel said, go for it. And then suddenly we had all this wonderful experience, these connections with people overseas, and that got the hemp going at Oregon State. Then following that, you know, we were able to organize as a center that started, like I mentioned in June of 2019, faculty started to come on board. We got some very good support uh, through an appropriation from uh, from the U.S. Senate where Senator Merkley and Senator uh, Wyden worked together with Senator McConnell and Senator Paul in Kentucky. And they were really able to push some legislation around that we could get some startup funds to start doing our work. At the same time the College of Ag which was encouraging to this helped stand up the center and then since that time we just started moving along. Now, here's the story that's really interesting on this. When you went, go back to 2014, the anticipation would be that hemp would be grown for fiber, you know, for industrial processes. And that was the work that was being done in China, in Serbia. Along comes 2018. And it was just really out of left field. Suddenly, there was all this interest in growing cannabinoids, CBD. And so if you think about a very gradual interest in fiber and grain, suddenly comes 2018, and you see this ramp up in 1819. And then in 2021, it came down as fast as it had gone up. But in the meantime, the industrial hemp, the manufacturing type hemp, for fiber, other materials, has continued to steadily move
0: forward. So it really was a bubble created by tremendous interest in the CBD sector.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about it, in some ways, it was really low-hanging fruit. There was good technology already available for extracting cannabinoids from biomass. You know, there was already a ready market for the usable buds, you know, the usable flowers and so forth. You know, so that was all there. That was poised perfectly. And that it was relatively easy for people to get into it and start growing it, you know, but but then the whole thing of oversupply hit.
0: I spoke with Bo about this in a previous episode, but I'd like to hear it from you and the Global Hemp Innovation Center. What is the potential of this plant? Because after Bo and I spoke, I made a statement that he tried to step me back from, but the way he explained it, it really feels like we are poised to enter the hemp age. That hemp has such broad potential, it could literally change the world.
1: Let me put this into a bigger framework, okay? I wouldn't just say it's the age of hemp, I would say it's the age of a bio based economy. It's moving away from strictly extracted and mined hydrocarbons, oil, coal. They're has been and has been developing this whole front of development for bio-based materials and bio-based products now the interesting thing about hemp is that it brings some very very interesting unique properties to the table that can therefore has to and this is where the science has to get against out of the market is now okay is hemp fiber better equal to worse than cotton fiber is it equal to, worse than, better than synthetic fiber? See, those are the questions you have to start asking from a performance standpoint, but then you have to bring in the economics. Can you produce it the same, worse, or better than existing products in the market?
0: Can you walk me through some of the top line products the center is researching?
1: Okay, let's, let's start at the bottom. And, and, and let's start with where we were at when there was... 60,000 acres of hemp. and that was all for cannabinoids, you know for the most. In fact that what 95, 99 percent in Oregon was for cannabinoids. After you extract the cannabinoids from that biomass, you're left with a byproduct, post-extract biomass. It happens to be that that biomass is of equal or maybe even a little bit better feed quality than alfalfa, believe it or not. So you go, Okay, that might have a very use, very good use in the livestock industry as a supplemental feed. And in fact, it was interesting when I, when you know, when the Hemp Center was uh, founded in June of 2019, the first industry group that approached our dean was the the dairy and beef industry in the state because they recognized that could be valuable, Uh, and so therefore that was really the first research that we supported as a center was to begin the work of looking at that byproduct, that post-extract biomass, which has a high feed value as a supplemental feed source for, in that case, it was for lambs to start study. And that research has just been published. We followed up now with studies with dairy cows, with uh, broiler chickens. We're getting ready to start another study with beef cattle this next spring, feeding them And then we're also looking at poultry layers, you know, egg layers. But the whole point there is you have to determine, because again, the research went away. In fact, any results that were out there were thrown away in 1970. They were purged from the files. And so we're having to go back over and look at this. What we're trying to find out are a couple of things. First, can we feed this material safely to the animal? You know, does it cause any problems with them metabolically, health-wise, or so forth? We want to know... When you feed it to the animal, does it do anything to their economic performance? You know, do they gain weight the same? Is the meat quality the same? Do they still lay eggs? What's their behavior? And then also, at the same time, you have to know, okay, if we feed this to human consumption food animals, is it going to get in the food chain? Which is really probably one of the biggest points with the Food and Drug Administration is we don't want to do something that's going to mess up our food chain. So those are all the things you have to unpack, Travis, you know, when you look at something as simple as can you feed this material, you know, to livestock.
0: One of the sectors that excites me is hemp as an energy source, replacing something like an automobile battery, where a hemp battery could be more environmentally friendly, could carry a longer charge and could recharge faster than the batteries that are currently in the supply chain. And looking toward the automotive sector alone, with many of the states outlawing petroleum-based cars over the next five to 10 years, that sector has to grow. Can you talk to me about some of that research?
1: Well, what I can talk about a little bit is that, yeah, we are doing some research on that in our Department of Chemistry. And they're looking at hemp fiber that's turned to carbon, and then what are its properties for use in batteries. But let's go back again to my earlier example. Let's take a lithium-ion battery. Okay, let's take a hemp battery. What are the performance differences? You know, and it's not just the battery. Now, anode, cathode, storage materials. I mean, you have to get into the whole what part of a battery. It's not that hemp throw it on a plant, shove it into a little container, you've got a battery. You know, there's a lot of chemistry and manufacturing that has to go into that. But, yeah, we are looking at that. And what it is, that's interesting is that again, let's go back to that comment that I made, you know, bio-based economy. Let's get away from uh, from uh, extracted, you know the mine carbon graphite. Where is the greatest amount of graphite mined right now in the world? China. According to the USGS, what's the Saudi Arabia of uh, lithium, Afghanistan? You see, you start getting into these type of questions, you know, Strategic materials, where does it come from? Can we do this domestically? Do we keep importing? Think about supply chains. You know, think about competition, global security. You know, suddenly it gets to be a real mix. And therefore, you're seeing, I believe, these type of policies saying, let's move away from petroleum-based cars and let's go to electric. And the technology is advancing leaps and bounds, you know. But the question, again, is, okay, is hemp carbon... A superior performing, how does it stack up for cost and so forth? And how does that all fit in? So yeah, we're doing work in that area is looking at energy storage is one possibility.
0: This would be an entry-level product that we're looking at, correct? Because any product goes through a lifetime of innovation. The battery that maybe our grandparents used is not the battery that we use now because of the innovation over time. So I would assume that almost any product or any of these sectors that hemp could replace as an entry-level product over time could eventually become superior to the conventional product or good.
1: Yeah, and let me throw a thought to you, okay? And again, I, you know, I mentioned about 1970. Well, let's go all the way back to 19, what was it, 37. You know, that's when the the marijuana tax law came in, and that pretty much took economically hemp out of the picture. If you put a stake in the ground back then in the mid-30s and you run all the way out to 2014, 2018, hemp has been in a time capsule, you know, buried in a basement, right? But what happened during that 80-year period? All this innovation with batteries, genetics, pharmacy, just think about it. All the innovation and the, and the advancement that happened during that period so hemp comes in now, 2018, let's just say. So it's not a matter of, gee, we have to rediscover the battery or how do you test materials and batteries? All that wonderful advancement has already happened. So really it gets to be plug and play very quickly. Is hemp material in this case superior to XYZ? That's that's really where we're at. And that's really what hemp needs to do now. And this is why We need research to be able to accelerate the processes of looking at what are the unique properties of hemp and how do those compare to a wood carbon or any other carbon.
0: When your researchers have breakthroughs and are able to present those findings, how quickly can your research then be moved into the marketplace? Does the center currently have industry partners ready to bring the research or innovation to market?
1: Yeah, you know, let's, and again, let's start at the fundamentals. Oregon State University, College of Agricultural Science, we're a land-grant institution. And our first line of where we engage was in the production of hemp. And there were a lot of folks, as you mentioned, by how many folks got in in that 18, 19 period, 20 period. Very quickly, we hired, I think, one of the, the if not the only, one of the first full-time statewide extension specialists for hemp production. Govinda Sharitha, and we already had other faculty out in our research and experiment stations who had already in 2019 started to gain experience growing hemp, you know, at 10 of our stations around, around the state, you know, and so we were looking over our shoulders, neighbors were looking at us, everybody's trying to get, you know, acclimated with what is this crop about, and we started to see what are the problems that practically needed to produce hemp, you know because that's what we, you know, the first line was hemp production here in Oregon. And so we started to get information about how do you harvest your crop so it's compliant with the 0.3% THC level? You know, can we find ways to tell, don't let it get past this spot so we know when to harvest it? You know, we started to look at the, the diseases, the insects, we still are doing this work right now. What's going to detract from the sustainability of that crop? We began water studies to say, because a lot of people say, oh, you don't have to water him. You don't have to fertilize him. You know, it it does great on its own. You know, it grows on rocky soil with, with nothing but love. You know, <laughs> no, it's like any other crop. So we started to tease these pieces apart of, of, of how to how to grow the crop. And not only just us, but working with our partners at University of California, Davis, our partners at Washington State University, really putting together kind of a, a good consortium of people working together. And then how do we advance the genetics? So you know, because, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, Travis, about, gee, this one plant can do, I'm just, I'm, I'm overstate this, this one plant can do everything. There is not one hemp plant that does everything. There's a hemp plant that's good at making grain. There's a hemp plant that's good at making cannabinoids. There's another plant that's good at making fiber. So it's a matter of sorting out and getting hemp to grow the best it can in whatever environment in Oregon, in Washington, in California. Fitting in with the crops that are already grown. You can't, you don't want to grow hemp more than one year in say three years or four years, just like you don't want to grow potatoes year after year after year. You have to rotate. So how do you make these fit in? So that's all the type of research we've already been working on getting that information out through our extension service, you know, through our research bulletins that we make, publishing research, just like the folks that did the animal feeding trials, that's getting out in the marketplace. They're interacting with the regulators at FDA, working with a feed association. You know, it's this whole ecosystem of people that have to work together to move the hemp industry forward. So now when you ask about, say, the batteries, that's a good example. You know, that faculty member actually is doing research with a private company that needs him in his laboratory to work out those details, to get performance information. So we make partnerships with industry all the time. You know, they sometimes support us. Sometimes they donate to us. You know, we just work it all together because we're all trying to figure out the best way to move this, you know, move this cart down the, down the path.
0: Speaking of that ecosystem, Oregon has been known for growing marijuana long before it was legal. Southern Oregon, in fact, is known far and wide for generationally growing this plant, understanding to a certain extent those genetics By creating and propagating specific strains. Has the Global Hemp Innovation Center partnered with some of those legacy cultivators and tapped them as a resource?
1: That's a great observation you just made, Travis. And frankly, the entire chemical hemp, hemp, pharma, chem type hemp industry is based on the prior work that comes for the most part out of the marijuana industry before, legal or illegal. And it's those breeders that knew the cannabis plant, not necessarily out in a uh, 160-acre center pivot set out in Central Oregon, but, you know, what would be grown in a greenhouse, you know, in a basement and so forth. But they were the stewards of the genetics that are out there, okay? So when the 2018 time point hits, it was those breeders that had the low THC lines, you know, that maybe were high in terpenoids, low in THC, high in CBD. That was the foundational genetics that this industry started to move forward with very quickly. And it was very quickly then that others started to step in and started to use more, I don't want to say, you know, started to use more accelerating type plant breeding uh, methods, infrastructure to do that. And so that moved along. So here's this Fifty years at least of history of genetics that these folks had. Now, what's our relationship to those folks? we're just we're just blown out of our socks because right now, the global hemp Innovation Center holds probably, if not the largest, one of the largest public institution held collection of hemp genetics. The way we got that is that there were visionary people in the industry, you know, and uh, you know, I could go and start naming these folks who donated their material to the Global Hemp Innovation Center because they said, we want to see this be used for the public good to help move this industry along. We found that, and we have good friends, you know, in the state of Washington also that donated to us because they knew we had this three-state partnership and there were no boundaries. You know, it's not like somebody gives to Oregon State, nobody in Washington State gets used, nobody at Davis uses it. Nobody at USDA uses it. No, we all work together. They like that philosophy. And so I think we're probably up to about 2,000 unique accessions of hemp, which is chemical, fiber, and grain types. And that's what we're working on together. And, you know, and again, these folks are lending us expertise also. We're talking about it. And we're trying to figure out what's this next generation of genetics for hemp going to look like, you know, that grows all the way from the Canadian border to the Mexican border that can go east. That, that's what we're working on. But it's because of the visionary hemp breeders, you know, cannabis breeders that really saw a value in us and wanted to help us advance their cause as well.
0: Well, we've talked about the positive things, the farm bills, the help from the U.S. government to get the research started and expanded, and even the generous assistance of those other nations and their research to help found the center. So, What are the biggest challenges that the center faces right now?
1: The challenges we face are nothing compared to industry. And we've done very well as a center because of the generosity of the industry to us, you know, either giving cash donations or giving in-kind donations of materials, donating genetics. We've done very, very well, even with a slump. It's changed the nature of those relationships you know, there's not folks that have a lot of funds to donate, you know, charitably to the center like they did in the beginning. But the biggest challenges we have is that when you move away from the chemical type hemp, and by the way, I mean, it's still, how do you get National Institute of Health to provide funding to say Richard Ben Bremen, who discovered that CBDA and CBGA, you know, block the COVID spike protein in, in collaborative work, that, that OSU's done with the Oregon Health Science University. You know I mean? In a model system, that needs to go to clinical trials. It takes money to do clinical trials. So that's something is how do we, you know, spring loose that we can have hemp compounds look at just like any other com- compound that goes into human health research. That's one thing. Another thing is, you know, when you look at the fiber, you know, we do not have grading standards for, for hemp fiber. If you look on my LinkedIn site a couple of months ago, there's a nut from our cooperator with the USDA laboratory down in New Orleans that created the worldwide cotton grading standards. There's no worldwide hemp fiber grading standards that needs to be done. Not only are they not standards, there's not methodology to test all the hemp fiber you know, to compare against standards. And then, how do you do that in a high throughput fashion? So that we can have accelerated breeding programs looking at hemp fiber quality, like you do in cotton, we just don't have that. And so, those are things that we are working on. Our partners are working on. We're collaborating on to move along the technology, so we can do that. You know, we could always use more money. There's, there's the you know shameless pitch, but we've done real well. We've been fortunate. We've got good faculty, have good ideas, and we get those into research proposals. We bring funding in to support us. So, the biggest challenge for us now is how can we be as relevant we can to help really stand up an Oregon hemp industry? You know, how, how do we do that right now? Because our our growers are hurting, you know, and how do we do that regionally, have that impact? How do we do that as a nation, you know, so that we can outcompete the Chinese or the Europeans, say, in hemp fiber? How, how do we get this into the arena of being a strategic material, like graphite, you know, like Lithium, whatever it may be, you know, those are the challenges we're facing. But we've got good creative faculty. We've got great partnerships. We've got good chemistry—the way people work together. You know, we've got good partners, both universities as well as the USDA and others. So, so that that's how we're taking it on. We We really feel we're up for the challenge, and we're having a good time doing it. Travis,
0: if people want to support the Global Hemp Innovation Center, what are the ways that they can help?
1: we're going to we're going to co-sponsor coming up November fifteenth with the USDA Office of the Chief Scientist, the Global Health Innovation Center and USDA are hosting a nationwide industry research needs workshop. And that's where anybody in the country, anywhere in the value chain of the industry or interest, will be able to give their input as to what do they see as the needs for the industry to move forward. What would help them do their job? What would help industry participants have a better sleep at night? You know, that's coming up. In Oregon, uh, it'll be in about the middle of middle to later October. We're going to do a statewide research needs workshop. And we'll be leveraging our research centers around the state as well as online that people will be able to give their input. As I mentioned, you know, that we've had great sponsorship by donations of materials through the OSU Foundation just like we've had donation, financial donations through the OSU Foundation. The beauty of that is if your company structure is set up, you know, that's a charitable donation. Just as you would donate for a scholarship or for the football stadium, you could donate for hemp research on those things you're interested in. And we're just, you know, again, we're just looking at how can we interact with people. We want to be relevant, Travis. And so, you know, just the interaction, people can follow our website, see what we're doing, Uh, You know, give us encouragement, give us your ideas. If you want to partner with us, if you're in a place that you want to partner, we're open to uh, investigating that too.
0: Is there anything that you'd really like the listeners to understand or know about the center that we haven't covered?
1: There is something, and this is really one of the, I'm going to go back to the founding of our center. You know, when you, this is a once in a lifetime new commodity, how often Arabian horses, something come along. Well, hemp is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and you know because of the nature of the crop, and we've seen some of that for good and for bad. A lot of different people can get into the hemp business, you know, one way or another. We really have set the center up that we also put a high value that we want to see people of color and uh, uh, the small guy, you know, the the small, the beginning. Folks have to do it prudently, you know, and so we're looking at how do we help folks. Uh, get into the business like this, whether they're big or small, whether they're conventional or organic, no matter you know, what the ethnic background, we want to see that. So we have what we call our hemp equity program. And with that, we're partnering with a uh, Hispanic serving institution, Colorado State University Pueblo, a H H historically black college university, Alabama A&M is one of our equity partners, uh, we just put on a major conference uh, with uh, Colorado State Pueblo, the Cannabis Research Conference, and and Kim Alliance, uh, which uh, is a educational foundation that reaches into um, into uh, the BIPOC community. You know they were a part of the organizing that and conducting that. And what's really crazy is that, particularly here in the Western United States, American Indian nations are a big part of the region independent nations into themselves. And we've built them into a recent grant that we got this last year. We got a recent potato soil health grant, just announced the other day, $50 million. Half of that is going to American Indian Reservation, working with their land managers. So equity is a big deal that we're looking at. It's just crazy. Uh, I mean, crazy, wonderful. When you look at the hemp industry about how much People that got in the hand of industry and created businesses were really interested in giving a good wage, providing health care benefits. It's too bad stuff that just collapsed because there was a really cool economy happening there. But that same spirit is also in the Global Hemp Innovation Center. You know, we just really want to help anybody that we can move forward, big or small, in the country, in the town, wherever.
0: Jeff, if people want to learn more about the Global Hemp Innovation Center and the work that you're doing where do you want to send them?
1: Okay, they can go to the Global Hemp Innovation Center's website. A lot of information there. You can read up about us, what we're into, all, a lot of news that's happening. Uh, you can follow the Global Hemp Innovation Center's LinkedIn page or my personal LinkedIn page. We're close as your web browser finding us.
0: And if there are potential students that are interested in going into this field, and going to Oregon State University specifically to become involved in this type of research do they reach out to your center what
1: they should they can go ahead and go to our website the global hemp innovations website take a look at our listing of faculty and what you know what their discipline areas are and you can directly contact those faculty and say hey i'm interested in breeding hemp you know how how would i do that or i'm interested in soil fertility or i'm interested in organic agriculture you know what you know i'm interested in in business development and and finance you know you can take a look at our faculty and that's the, that's the best starting place to go to
0: jeff thank you so much for joining me i could talk to you for hours i am so excited about the work that you're doing and what it means globally in all these different areas so Thank you so much for the time that you've spent with me today. Well, I just
1: really appreciate the invitation. Thank you, Travis.
0: That is Jeffrey Steiner, the Associate Director of the Global Hemp Innovation Center at Oregon State University.
1: Mainstream media.
0: Brilliant minds in so many disciplines are working tirelessly in our own backyard to unlock the potential of hemp. The advances in food, fiber, energy, pharmaceuticals, and nutraceuticals could change the daily life for everyone on the planet and, not to mention, could go a very long way in protecting the planet itself. We will keep you up to date on the research and the breakthroughs as we continue to watch this industry grow. Thanks for listening to Mainstream Media on The Coin Podcast Network.